0: Welcome, welcome, friends, family, neighbors, co workers. I am so very glad you're here. Mom, thanks for listening. Yeah, this is the Sneaky Emu, a place where we want to discover the divine and the beauty of life that's been in front of us the whole time. So, we've got a few things to talk about today, uh, but I have a particular direction and, and, and kind of an overall um, tra- trajectory. That's the word get your word straight, trajectory, the way we're going, Uh, I want to talk about a friend of mine, a friend of mine who is very old, Uh, (laughs) a friend of mine who has brought me great joy and uh, support in the years that I've known him and about a conversation I had with him that made me think about like what is the overall purpose of life okay great and what does it mean to be human in the here and now and then how do we make the most of the time that we have like how do we really get to the depths and the heart of what it means to be human and experiencing life to the fullest how how do we discover <laughs> the giant 6 foot tall prehistoric bird in our front yard and not and and not let it Sneak into the woods in front of us if you've listened to the first episode. So, I have this friend. We met uh, probably six years ago now. He's an older gentleman. Uh, Should I use his name? He'll never hear it and probably won't care. Uh, I'll not use his name. Anyways, at this point, he's in his upper 80s. Now he has an incredible story, and as I've gotten to know him over the past several years, I've I've slowly chipped away at kind of this initially rough exterior exterior he has. If you met him on the street, he would seem like a fairly gruff old dude. Uh, but if if he vets you, if he finds significance in you, if you can make it to like in our circle, he opens up and then he becomes like one of your biggest advocates. So where we were living, I lived about a mile from my job and I would often ride my bike to work about a mile, no big deal. And his house was on the road on my way to work. And so he, he lives in this like little, um, little, he lives in, a, he lives in this trailer and it has this big screen in front porch and he doesn't, um, he sits a, he sits on his front porch a lot and hangs out and so i would stop by occasionally and say hey and get to talking to him and that kind of developed into a friendship what i've learned about him is that he he's an old he's an old biker guy he's like a legit hardcore biker dude like he rides harleys he goes to biker bars he used to do stuff that might even be considered Uh, a little less than what you might call legal at some point. (laughs) Uh, And so he spends a lot of time on his front porch hanging out. And so even I I was just over there uh, this past week and he opened up on some stuff that I'd never heard him talk about. It was fascinating. And there's few people in our world that I think have stories like him. There's few people that, that still exist in the world that might have stories like his. And so I was telling him about this show um, uh, that I've been watching on, on it was I was watching it on Prime, but it was a history channel show called Alone. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a fun show about people surviving alone in the wilderness. And it's kind of a last man standing sort of deal. You win like $500,000, whatever. So the conversation started with He, his perspective on people who, um, remember, this is an old dude from the South. He was talking, he was sharing his perspective on people that aren't white, which makes me uncomfortable because I don't have that mentality, the same mentality. We don't have a shared, uh, a shared thing here, common, commonality. And so I was quickly trying to change the subject. So I brought up this TV show I was watching because I was like, he's 83 or at this point, he's probably 80, 88 or something. And I thought, let's change the subject. So I was telling him about Alone. And then all of a sudden he said, well, we'll shoot, man. Uh, And remember, he's an old white guy from the South with colorful language and old school ideas. And he said, uh, when he, he goes, when I went into the army, I did uh, desert I did survival training in the desert for a week and I said oh well how old were you when you did that like in your you know late teens early 20s and he said well I was 16 and I said 16 how did you get into the military at 16 he said well when I was in Oregon I signed up and they put me in cuz uh, you know they didn't have to, I didn't have, par- have to have parents permission and they were looking for guys and they were taking who they could get I said, that's pretty crazy. But then I realized he wasn't from Oregon. He was from North Carolina. So how did he get from North Carolina to Oregon at 16? So I asked him, oh, how'd you, "How you? aren't you from North Carolina? He goes, yeah. He goes, but I left home when I was 14. I left home when I was 14 that's incredible so I thought well there's more there's a story here so I just began to kind of ask other questions like well uh how did you leave home at 14 and he said well he was like the middle of eight kids and his mom was in what did he called it the um the sanitarium uh like she was having she had medical issues or something and his dad was a farmer and he felt like it was easier to just to kind of take off, like travel, go see the world. I'm like, well, what did you, how, tell me about this journey. And so he began to explain little pieces and bits and pieces of it. And he said he went to, he went to like New York somewhere where he worked on a dairy and grape farm. (laughs) It is as a teenager. And then he made his way uh, to somewhere where he was working at like a train depot. Again, this is all before he's 16. He's worked his whole life because I was asked, how did you make cash? How did you get from place to place? And he just said he would work for a while and then move on, uh, by himself. So he worked at this train depot, you know, like the, where they turn actually turned the trains around. He, he worked there for a while cleaning tracks. And then he somehow ended up in Tennessee where he worked, uh, in a circus, but like as a as the cooking staff for the circus people. And he just kind of slowly made his way out to LA and then made his way up the coast, up to Oregon. I'm like that. I can't even comprehend being that age and trying to do something like that. Like when I was 14, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't even close to being prepared to leave my house. So this dude has an incredible story. I actually asked him, A little bit later, I came back the following week and asked him about if he would be willing to like, like, let's document this as a story and turn it into a book or something. And he, he wasn't, he had no interest in it. So anyways, so he, he's had a lot of life experience from a very young age. He's been out and about, he's been uh, in the world, seeing the world, experiencing the world firsthand. Um, I know at one point. Aside from odd jobs he's had and being a part of like biker gangs and stuff, he was in the Korean War. And so uh, one of our conversations one time he had opened up, he was telling me about some of that experience and he actually, he's, he's only talked about it really once and he went and got some of his photos and he went and got some of his letters and he was just kind of like exposing like bearing his soul and showing me these snapshots of his life and it was just it's just incredible to to talk to a person who's had this kind of life experience and grew up in that kind of world. He grew up in a world that is so foreign to anything that you know we're experiencing or looking at or trying to understand. So this is is kind of my relationship with this guy. Now, there was one time I came by his house, and he had he had been drinking. He he, he does that quite a bit, right? Uh, on sitting on the front porch, although he's backed off. <laughs> In his late eighties, he's backed off a little bit, and I could tell when I got there that that he he had had a few. You know, I mean, it was like three o'clock after all. He had had a few, and so I sat down and we began to chit chat and just like. Have, you know, have our kind of normal like leading conversations about the weather and his doctor visits and whatever. But uh, in this particular instance, because of the, the liquid uh, courage or the what's, what's it, the, the uh, lack of inhibitions, maybe he, he was quick to get to like deeper conversations. And so I don't know what prompted him or what was going on in his mind or what he experienced that week or that day. But in the middle of this conversation, he reached forward. He, he leaned over from his seat uh, and he grabbed my wrist with like, his, you know, he's got these big oversized man hands. Like he's and he, he's a bigger dude um, that he's, he's done a ton of work in his life, that he's done and seen so much. And he looked me straight in the eyes and he said, he said, you're a good man preacher <laughs> which is, is pretty funny because to know this guy is to know that religion in the traditional sense isn't like his cup of tea or his shot of whiskey if you will and so then then we begin to have this conversation i remember this conversation because it was it was a really touching moment for me and and in this relationship with him and he said he said i said i want you to know Um, And and he said, I mean this. He goes, I want you to know I love you. And and again, this is a huge deal. This guy who's seen, been, experienced, fought in a war, traveled the country, traveled the world, uh, who isn't the guy that's going to open up and share emotions and feelings easily or uh, generously or with many people at all. And so he, he said he said I love you and I said I said well <laughs> well thanks man I, I appreciate that and he said no I, I mean that he said you're he said you're family again another huge deal for a guy who doesn't let many people in I mean he, I think he was he was married once or twice neither of his marriages lasted long he's got a couple kids um, a couple grandkids and it's one of those deals where if you're if he thinks you're family He will look out and protect you and keep an eye on you. And he's, he's a guy in the neighborhood that, that people, he's like the old guy in the neighborhood that people look to, you know, in like this, um, like he, he, the, the neighborhood gives him respect. Right. So I said, he said, your family. And I said, thank you, man. I go, man, I, I feel, I said, I feel the same way. And then this long pause, And he said, again, he's just, he's blasting me with this stuff. Also, yes, I think it was (laughs) slightly alcohol induced, but he said, he said, I, I, I'd I'd take a bullet for you. And so at this point, I'm a bit overwhelmed and I'm kind of nodding and smiling, but also fighting back tears. And I said, I just said, you know, I know you would, I know you would. And, and, and I appreciate you for that. And he says, "He said I'm serious." And I said, "I know." And then he says, "He says, promise me something." I'm like, well, all right, man. Like anything. Like what? What? Like do you like? I promise." And then he said, "Promise me you will officiate my funeral." Promise me you will officiate my funeral. Um. Again, this is a heavy conversation um and we're both kind of fighting tears uh as he's like just essentially gushing which i've never seen before from this particular guy and i just i said of course i mean what can you say of course i said it would it it would be my honor you know like how do you respond to that and then he said promise me something else and i was said what 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 else do you need man he said he said, promise me that you'll pour my ashes around that oak tree, around that oak tree right there. And he pointed out to the oak tree in his front yard. And I said, uh, of course. What, yeah, man, I, I, I got you. I got you. And so this is this, is this kind of surreal moment. He's fighting tears. I'm fighting tears. And I figured, like, since we're in this moment having this conversation, I'd better, I'd better like check if there's anything that he'd like me to say specifically at his funeral, Be- because he has a lot of opinions about things. And I actually had done another funeral for, uh, uh, an older gentleman in the neighborhood. And we'd had long conversations about, 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 uh, the functionality of a funeral and what people do and say. And, and so he had a lot of opinions that he'd expressed. So I figured I should I should probably get all this down while while he's thinking about it. And so I said, "Is there is there anything you want me to say, like specifically anything you know that 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 uh, that you would like to be done in those moments?" And and keep in mind, this this entire conversation is much more colorful and purpose in, in person, right? Like he's swearing a bunch, <laughs> in love, uh, but it's just kind of how he talks. And, and I said, anything specific, you know, you want me to mention, address on your behalf? And then he said, uh, he said, you and I'll never forget because he goes, you know, uh, you ain't got to say much. <laughs> you ain't got to say much. Just say, here lies one sorry son of a bee. Except, you know, he used the word, here lies one sorry son of a bee. And I kind of, you know, I kind of started chuckling and I said, I don't, I told him, I said, I don't think I've ever used that line at a funeral before actually. And so that, that was our conversation. I show up to his house. He'd been drinking. He gets into this deep, heavy conversation about his love, about being family, about the extent of, of protection that he's willing, you know, uh, to give me. And then uh, ask if I will officiate his funeral, if I will say a few words, but it doesn't have to be much. And the only expectation is here lies one sorry fella, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I, I remember thinking like afterwards, thinking through this conversation about okay so what would I what would I actually say what would his funeral actually look like who would be there what's the kind of conversation you have for a guy like that um, you know because if you say something uh, you know like well he was a good guy like it doesn't cover it doesn't cover who he was it doesn't cover the extent of this particular guy uh, w- would h- how would How would I go about putting together that message and how do I, uh, portray something more than here lies a guy that lived a life, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you want somebody to say more than here lies one, sorry, son of a, because I I would hope people would want to say more about that, about my life than that. Um, and so it got you know the question that then comes to mind is like well, what's the thing that I want my life to be about, or what's the thing that you want your life to be about? I I would like to think that when when that time comes, um, I I would have I would have more to say about myself, and I would hope people others would have more to say about myself than well. He existed. <laughs> he used to be here, and now he's not. Right? It's like we're all looking for purpose and meaning and significance. Obviously, we want this life to matter. We want to experience a particular quality of life, and we want to know that there's some meaning, some bigger purpose that we have than just, yep, there they are, <laughs> you know, does that become, um, your, uh, what's it called uh, on your tombstone? The, uh, epitaph, right? Yep. He was here. <laughs> he took up space. She, uh, she ate, drink and slept. <laughs> what, what do you want your life to, what, how do you want to be re- remembered? Uh, I don't know if you remember a while back, um, there was a thing going around. I think on on social media about the six word epitaph. I think I'm saying that right, epitaph, uh, which is how would you define your life in six words? Like if you could sum up what your life is, or or maybe maybe the question is not what your life is, but what you would li- what you would like your life to be. How would you sum up what you want your life to be in six words? And then if your life isn't in line with the thing that you've just written, then maybe there needs to be some changes made to your life and how you're living and how you view all of it in order to become the thing that you actually want. Maybe that's an exercise you could even try. I th- I know I did this a while ago. I don't have the notes on what I did, uh, how, how, how I wrote that. But what does that look like for you if you were going to do that six-word epitaph? Um Is it going to be about he really saved a lot of money? (laughs) Say, let's see, six words saved money, big bank account, tight wad. That's one word. (laughs) That's five. Um, Or do you want your life to be about something more? Like, just off the top of my head, I would think I I would want something like generous. Kind, uh, one full of wonder. That's three, though. You know, like, I, I want to live, I want these six words to embrace a meaningful, purposeful life that's lived to the fullest. That's more than six words, too. Um, now, Jesus actually has some insight to this kind of thing, like how, how to live beyond just taking up space and existing. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, 35, there's a short passage that kind of goes against like normal human logic. It's a kind of logic uh, um, and insight that actually stands in opposition to most of our like American worldview. J- Jesus actually tells us where and how we can have a life that satisfies, as well as a life that brings significance. Okay, check this out. Mark 8, uh, 34 and 35. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now... Often, when this passage gets used, it's it's really focused on the um, on the deny the self and take up your cross, and and it really carries the way that it feels is that it seems to carry uh, this whole concept and idea of um, d- like depreciating the self. That's not the right word, is it? uh undermining the self um uh so it seems to be self-deprecating that's the word um but this is one of those statements that really will sort will kind of sort a crowd won't it and and thin the herd if you will because this is a tough pill to swallow and i think sometimes we we've taken it uh a bit askew so when jesus says this thing if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospels will save it. Uh, this this logic is contrary to a lot of our thinking. Um, so you're saying that rather than making things about me, myself, and I, I should deny myself. And the way that I actually save my life is by giving up my life. So he, here's what I think that Jesus is saying, and what He knows about us as His children and as His creation, and uh, how this I believe is bigger than just um, like stop doing this. this. This passage to me gets used a lot in, the, in 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 like traditional Christianity as stop being you and be something else. And by not being you, uh, then 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 that's where like you find the stuff. But uh, there, there's got to be like a different. There's got to be a different way here. Um, I think what Jesus is saying is that he knows that if we are at the center of our own universe, at the center of our own world, then nothing else can be. Okay. So the denying the self isn't just about limiting or rejecting or refusing, you know, um, pleasure, enjoyment, um, excitement, whatever. It's, it's this understanding that if we are continually the middle, if we are the sun in the middle of our solar system and everything is revolving around us, then there isn't really room for anything else. Um, and he knows that there is this, significance and satisfaction that we will find when we take ourselves out of being at the center of everything, right? At the end of the day, if my focus is myself, then all I will have to show for my life, myself, will be myself. If if I am at the middle of all things, then... (laughs) all I will have to show at the end of my life is myself. However, if I follow these teachings of Jesus and and take this concept, and this idea of denying myself, it allows me to, to essentially say no to the self or to pull myself out of the middle of the solar system of my life so that I can say so I can be open to things that are actually greater than myself. All right So when I'm living for something greater than myself, Uh, I will naturally drift towards the satisfaction and the significance I've been searching for. Um, A great example and a great teacher of this is when you get to the place of having kids. Kids show you how selfish you are, especially early on, because you have lived a particular life up to a particular number of years. Like we had, my wife and I had kids uh, I think I was 30-ish early 30s. and so I've had 30 some years of doing life a particular way. When you get married or get into a relationship, it exposes your own selfishness from time to time. But then when you have kids, it like uh, brings that up to the surface in a very like real and powerful sort of way because now all of a sudden, I can't be on I, I'm on their schedule right? <laughs> I can't be at the center of my own universe. It doesn't work that way. But what you learn along the way is that, but not, and not that I should make, um, not that I'm going to make my kids like the center of all things, obviously. Right. But by taking myself out of the center of the universe, what I found in putting my attention and focus on my children, uh, and my wife is that there is this particular kind of satisfaction and significance that I have been looking for. Something to give myself, something to give my life to for the sake of a larger purpose, right? Um, I know that I'm living for something greater than myself, and so there is this satisfaction significance that comes with it. It's, it's this whole idea, too, that you were made in the image of God, who is love, who is community, who is relationship, who is about being generous and being benevolent because that's the kind of world and universe that he created. And so when I step into the mindset of generosity or I live in in a generous manner, benevolent manner, when I'm giving of myself the way that love does, then I will find the significance and purpose that I'm looking for. But if I am keeping myself at the center of all things. If I'm refusing to deny myself, if I buy into the belief that I am the sun in the middle of the solar system, then I miss out on the significance that I've been looking for because I'm refusing to step into the image that I was created in. Does that make sense at all, hopefully? So when it comes to the thing that Jesus invites us to, when he's talking about the kingdom and what it means to live and experience life to the fullest... Kingdom logic and thinking, it's all very counterintuitive because there's this battle, this ongoing battle of the ego and the self that's wanting to make things about us always. But then we've been designed to function in a way where when we get beyond the self, we actually find the thing that saves us, right? For whoever wants to save his life, will lose it. If I'm only concerned with my own well-being, I will get so caught up in my own well-being that I actually will lose the life that I'm looking for. But if I lose my life, if I deny myself, if I put my own ego and selfish nature aside, it allows me to give attention to uh, the things, the people, the other people around me, which then allows me to step into this generous, benevolent nature that I've been created in, which then essentially allows me to save my life or allows me to experience you could say life right kingdom logic is it's counterintuitive it goes against the normal way of thinking of being the things that we've been taught the things that we pick up this whole concept and idea of you're looking out for number one like that's not the best policy kingdom logic uh, goes the opposite direction than what might normally feel comfortable and normal. It's like, it's kind of like motorcycles and airboats or jet skis. When we were, when I was growing up, my dad had an airboat and I don't know if you've ever been on an airboat, like the big um, boats with the giant fans on the back that go through the swamps. If you're from Florida you probably know if you're not from Florida you might not know maybe you've seen them on TV or some sort of show or something but it's a really interesting it, it's fun obviously it's interesting because you if okay so let's say you're going down the river or in the swamp or something in the middle of the night anytime really but um, we my dad used to take us out in the middle in the at night into <laughs> into the swamp into the St. John's River. And we would go like frog gigging or looking for gators or go fishing or something. And so when I was in high school, he taught me how to drive the airboat. And the way you drive the airboat is, you know, it's got a pedal like a like a car would have. But then you have a big stick that is that serves as your like uh, steering column. Uh, and you push it forward and it goes one way and you pull it back and it goes another because it's basically – Uh, shifting these giant panels on the back of the fan on the back of the boat that then pushes the boat in a different direction. So the airboat doesn't have reverse and it doesn't really have brakes. So if you find yourself going down a river or through the swamp and you find something in your pathway that you need to navigate your way around, you can't hit the brakes, throw it into reverse, slow down, to go a different direction in order to go around something like say a tree shows up in the middle of the river. You didn't see it for some reason. In order to go around the tree, you actually have to mash the gas harder. (laughs) You, you have to make it go faster so that the boat can turn tighter to get around the object. It's like, it's so counterintuitive. If you have something like jet skis, this is kind of the same thing right some some may have reversed now but you have to like rev the engine give it more gas to take it uh it, it's it feels odd at first because you're like well I sh- I I I'm trying to avoid this thing I should slow down well no in order to avoid the thing you actually have to speed up so it's super counterintuitive or with with motorcycles it's it's uh I think it's called steering. if i steer to the if I, if I push to the right, uh, on the right side, I will begin to go to the left. Right, It's this really kind of trippy thing to get used to. So the idea with the kingdom, the kingdom logic, it's all counterintuitive. It's losing your life to save your life. This is the way the kingdom works. It doesn't operate according to the normal like systems and ways that we're used to. So... In the American ideal, I want to build a brand, I want to build wealth, I want to have money in the bank account, buy the house, have the kids, have the job, all this stuff. And the idea is that if I can do those things, then I will find like purpose, meaning, significance. Uh, and unfortunately, we tie so much of our identity to what we produce, what we make, what we can do, uh, how, much, how much we possess, how, how many things, how many toys we have. Um, how many, we, we attribute value to our stuff thinking that this is what will give us significance or provide happiness. And, and the whole thing that Jesus is trying to do through this talk in Mark and, and many other places is to tell us like that's not, that's not the actual way. Like there's a different way, there's a better way, the, the way that you will find life is by losing is, is by giving up your life denying the self taking up the cross following following what he's saying and what he's doing this is the way the kingdom works but then I guess the question that we have to ultimately sort through and wrestle with is is one what do you want your life to be about and then two um, have you come to the realization and is what you want your life to be about primarily focused on you being at the center of the solar system. Are you the sun and the world is revolving around you? Are you expecting, um, to find life through making it all about you? I mean, like we said, this, this is like the world we live in, isn't it? This is, We live in this I generation. It's all about me. It's it's Burger King. It's the Burger King way of life. You know, your way right away. It's iPhone generation. It's everything starts with an I because it's all about me. And so these teachings of Jesus can be quite difficult because it's the exact opposite. It's not... About you. And if you realize this and can figure out how to make it not about you, then you will actually experience the kind of life that you should experience and that you were supposed to experience and that you were designed to experience. You were actually looking for when you were trying to make the whole thing about yourself. <laughs> Do you see the brilliance of, of the whole thing here? That for everybody that is trying to make everything about themselves, which is the entirety of... That's a broad statement. I don't mean to paint with that broad of a brush, which seems to be like so many people in our world. What they haven't figured out is that ultimately those things will not lead them to the place that they're hoping they will. They will lead them to the exact opposite place and ultimately leave them, you know, like alone and empty or distant from everybody else. And when you begin to put it in the context of, of the story of something like creation and, and God's intended reality for the world and how he designed things to function, then it becomes even more clear that when we make it all about us, that we stand in opposition to the way that things have been designed to function. So then the question for us is, do we want to live a life that lines up with the, with God's intended reality, or do we want to a- attempt a life that's gonna stand in opposition to God's intended reality, that although it may have the appearance of like giving us what we need, will actually have the opposite effect. <laughs> right? You're looking for satisfaction and significance in your life. It won't be found in striving for satisfaction and significance. (laughs) It will be found in giving up the things that you think will make you happy. And in giving up the things that you think will make you happy, you will actually find a purpose, a larger purpose. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose their life uh, will save it. In other words, the best thing that you can do for yourself is to take the focus off of your self. So maybe, maybe my buddy had it right all along. <laughs> do you see that? Have we brought that back around? The thing that I thought served as a lack of significance, here lies one sorry son of a bee, might have actually been the wiser, more in line with the kingdom way of communicating uh, what his life was. Does that make sense at all? I mean, that's pretty wild, right? I thought it was um, like a, a funny joke about like downplaying the self, but it actually serves to fall in line with the kingdom. <laughs> Whoever wants to lose his life will save it. So by taking the focus off of himself, uh, so to speak, uh, in if we're going to clean it up and polish it up a little bit, by taking the focus off of himself, he actually has the ability to find the kind and quality of life that he's looking for, or that we are looking for. Finding the the meaning, the purpose, the significance in doing so, which to me was quite fascinating. So I guess the question for us, for you, is, you know, what kind of life are you living? Are you, are you living the kind of life that is so focused on yourself that you are actually missing the life that you were created to live? Or are you living the kind of life that you've been able to focus your efforts, your thoughts, your feelings, your whatever... On other people, and in doing so, you find a deeper sense of purpose and significance. Which, by the way, if you take this idea and extend this to our current world and the way things are, this actually might be a profound sort of way to begin to view the world. In a world with viruses, and extreme racial tension and uh, ugh, extreme terrorism and mass murders and on and on we go down the list. Um, toxic politics. If we begin to live, vote, view the world, view the people around us, view the people that we disagree with, maybe, through the lens of uh, denying the self, taking up the cross, and following Jesus, through the lens of losing my life in order to save it. It actually might make a big difference. Wouldn't you think? Like, if I actually was willing to lay down my own personal preference for the sake of others, it might make the world a better place. It's so crazy uh, when we get into the things like masks and stuff and, and it's become this major issue, political issue, religious issue almost to some degree. And you've got so many Christian people that are trying to stand up and defend their rights, their liberties, their you-can't-make-mes, whatever. And I just can't help but think sometimes that some of the most basic, well-known teachings of Jesus are things like, deny yourself, lose your life. But yet, as Christian Americans, there seems to be this primary thought of, you-can't-make-me, right? Don't tread on me. This is our way. Don't brainwash. You know what I'm saying? Oh, gosh. It's almost like if we actually followed the teachings of Jesus, uh, the world might actually be a better place. It's almost like the emu has been there right in front of us and we just haven't seen it yet. But hey, maybe, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow will be the day. Where people wake up from the slumber where we can begin to see things a bit differently. Maybe tomorrow will be the day for you where you will take steps. Cause it's not easy to think differently, to think this way. It's not easy to come to the place of realizing that the thing that will actually be best for me is not to make me the center of all things. That's like, you need training. You have to train for that. That takes a new kind of muscle a new kind of brain power, that takes effort. That takes prayer, patience. It's tough. It's so very tough. But, as Jesus says, you will save your life. All right, friends, family, mom, thanks for listening. My hope and my prayer for you is that you will all be bold enough to lose your life. That you'll be bold enough to lose your life and in doing so will find the life that you're actually looking for. That you will find the meaning, the significance, the purpose that will help you experience life to the fullest. This has been the Sneaky E-Move. This is episode 3 and I want you to know that I am sending massive amounts of peace and love in your direction.